So we're going to look at God's Word now, and originally I had intended to continue preaching through Revelation, um, but at the end of last year, it was about a year, year and a half ago, I started studying worship more, started studying worship more, and um, got involved in the worship team, I think uh, almost a year ago now, and ended up leading the worship ministry since August. So I wanted to take a Sunday or two and look at um, what we see in Scripture about worship. So worship um, in general is a broad term referring to the honoring and glorifying of God. But when I use the word worship, I'm going to be a little more focused on the singing or musical aspect of worship. So what we do generally before and after the sermon on Sunday mornings. And real quick, I'm going to come kill this echo that I'm hearing. All right, there we go. Less distracting. Um, so we're going to jump around and we'll, we'll look at some different scriptures. But our main text for day, today is going to be from John chapter 4. So you can turn there, John chapter 4. In this passage, Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan woman at a well. Um, it's a pretty well-known passage. But as Jesus is speaking to her, there's two things that would have been uncommon at the time. You've probably heard them. One, for Jesus, a man, to have a conversation with a, Samaritan, uh, with a woman would have been uncommon. And two, for Jesus, a Jew, to have a conversation like this with a Samaritan. But we're talking about Jesus and his, his love for people broke all cultural and racial barriers. So to get a little context on the, the main verses we're going to focus on, we're going to start back in verse 7. It says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So Jesus offers the woman eternal life here. Um, and while she might not have understood that completely, she wanted it. She wanted this, this water that doesn't run out. And she asked Jesus for it so that she wouldn't be thirsty and wouldn't have to keep coming back. And Jesus responds and he says, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So what did Jesus just do? Jesus just exposed her sin to her. He exposed her sin to her. He brings it out of the darkness and into the light. And this is necessary, really, what Jesus is after. He's, he's, he's after 
this woman's heart. As you can see in a little bit when it says that God is looking for worshipers. So Jesus wants this woman to receive salvation. He's after her heart. And so um, what was necessary, one of those things is for her sin to be exposed. So Jesus doesn't let her hide her sin. He doesn't let her think she's fine in her sin. He exposes it. And her response is, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So her response, she recognizes Jesus is some kind of prophet, and he just called her out on her sin. So um, she attempts to deflect. She's like, let's shift attention from me to something, like we're going to talk about where we're supposed to worship, but it doesn't really have anything to do with what their conversation was. So she's trying to deflect. Now, Jesus doesn't have a problem here because he can, he can get to her heart through worship. And so he begins a discussion on worship. And he says, um, Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Um, So Jesus tells her here that it is not the where that is important in worship. It's not in Jerusalem or or on the mountain or at the temple, but the whom you're worshiping and the how you worship. You can worship in Jerusalem. You can worship in um, Samaria. You can worship in O'Fallon. And you can still be worshiping wrong. Okay? It's not the location. It's about who and how. Who we worship is of supreme importance. Right? Amen. Who we worship is of supreme importance. There's only one who is worthy of our worship. And all throughout Scripture, that is made clear. There's only one God, the Christian God, the God of the Bible. In Luke 4, Satan offers Jesus all authority and splendor if he would but bow down and worship him. And Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So our worship is to be reserved for him. And, of course, as Pastor Mike recently talked about uh, within the past couple of months up here, when we say God is the only one worthy of worship, we're talking about our triune God. God in three persons the Blessed Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God Holy Spirit. Yeah, so He alone is worthy of our worship. So if you're a part of our church here, you know that and you agree with that. So I want us to focus on the how this morning, the how, the the Spirit and truth. Jesus says the time is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. God the Father is seeking such worshipers. He wants such worshipers. Um, so the how is in spirit and truth. So what does that mean? That's what we're going to look at this morning. How do we worship in spirit and truth? First off, it means that he wants, he wants real worship. 
To sum it up, he wants worship from our hearts and from our heads. And I will explain. Um, In our Sound Doctrine book we went through together in our life groups, there was a chapter on worship. And in that chapter, the author describes Sound Doctrine as fuel for the fire of our worship. Um, John Piper also uses that comparison. He goes a little bit further with it. And so we think we have sound doctrine, which is truth about God. That's our fuel. And our spirit is like the furnace where the fuel burns. So it it burns in our spirit. And then the heat that comes off a fire, um, those are like our affections for God, reverence, contrition, trust, gratitude, joy, things like that. But there's something missing from the equation. Um, if you have fuel and you have the furnace to get the heat, you, you actually like need a fire, right? Something has to start the fire. Um, once you have the fire, you can get the heat. But you need something to ignite it. And the Holy Spirit is the ignition in this imagery that we're using right here. The Holy Spirit is the fire that lights the fuel. So in, in this passage... Um, I read a, a lot of different commentators, and, and some would say the Spirit is referring to the Holy Spirit, um, worship with the aid of the Holy Spirit, and some would say the Spirit here is referring to our spirit, our emotions, our, our soul, and I, I think you can actually kind of marry these, these two together in this passage. Um, so if you turn back over to John chapter 3, in verse 5, it says, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. So, spirit gives birth to spirit. Um, They're actually the same Greek words there. If you look at it, it's the same Greek word both times, but in every translation I could find, um, one is capitalized and one is not. One is referring to the Holy Spirit, and then one is not. So the Holy Spirit gives birth to spirit. It gives birth to spiritual life. Okay? Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. When we're called from darkness to light, when we put our trust in Christ, when we're born again, we, receiving the Holy Spirit, are brought from death to life. We become spiritually alive. Instead of dead men, we become spiritually alive men and women. The Holy Spirit lights that fire in us. And praise God. Um, to truly worship God, you must be quickened, made alive by the Holy Spirit. You must be saved. True worship comes from spirits made alive by the Holy Spirit. And then the truth of God's sound doctrine fuels your worship, and out of it comes that heat, the reverence, the trust, the joy, the thanksgiving, and all those other um, emotions and affections. So I think a summary of real worship, spirit and truth, um, that's kind of a summary, but I want us to go a little bit deeper. Um, I said earlier that God wants worship from our heart and our head, from our spirit and in truth. And I think most of us would agree that biblical worship has outward acts involved. Um, The Hebrew word for worship literally means to bow down. Okay, so... Worship is bowing down, lifting hands, praying, singing, preaching. These things, these things are worship. But they can be done in vain. You can come here every Sunday 
for your whole life and sing songs and not worship. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew um, chapter 15, quoting from Isaiah. He says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Or consider what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2, which we looked at earlier this year. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. So they're doing a lot of good, good stuff. But then Jesus says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Worship is not duty. Okay, You were created for it, but it's not something you were created to do unwillingly, um, without joy or apart from love. So husbands, imagine for a moment that you give your wife a gift. I don't know what kind of gift. Every wife likes different things. I learned early on my wife didn't like flowers. So I would get chocolate. Okay, So you get your wife chocolate or flowers or jewelry or whatever it is, and you tell her you love her. I love you. Here you go. And she says, thank you so much. And you respond by saying, it's my duty to do this. No problem. Like, I don't know. It kind of strips, it strips the meaning and the enjoyment from, from your wife, I would think. Am I right, ladies? If it's just, a, it's just duty, that's all, okay? Um, there's a theologian named Edward Carnell, and he puts it like this. Suppose a husband asks his wife if he must kiss her goodnight. Her answer is, you must but not that kind of must. What she means is this. Unless a spontaneous affection for who I am motivates you, your overtures are stripped of their value. So um, if you take your wife out on a date and she asks you, why did we come out tonight? The answer that honors her is not, well, it's my job as your husband to take you out on a date. Okay? But because I love you and I love taking you out, it's my joy to take you out. So, must we worship God? Yes, but not that kind of must. Scripture says in Psalm 37, Delight yourself in the Lord. And Psalm 32 says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. So, we honor God when we worship Him in spirit from our heart that comes out in words. Not empty words devoid of any real meaning or feeling, but out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, as it says in Matthew. Um, now, i am I'm been giving the example of love. There's a lot more emotions that we are to consider when we, we worship God in spirit and truth. Um, God says in Scripture to be still and know that He is God. Let all the earth be silent before Him, to bow down before Him in the holy temple in fear of Him. So we're to have reverence before God. And in Psalm 51, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So feelings of brokenness and remorse are also appropriate responses in worship. Longing for God, just as the deer pants for flowing streams of water, is an appropriate response in worship. Mourning at times is an appropriate response. Joy, an appropriate response. Delight, an appropriate response. Um, John Piper describes worship as gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. This happens when these emotions and affections arise 
in our hearts. Um, on the topic of worship, I've heard a lot of people say over the years, um, you know, I, I didn't get anything out of worship today. I've, I've heard this phrase a lot in my life. Um, and I've also heard people say that worship is, is strictly about God and giving Him praise. Um, and I think both of these statements have some problems. Um, now, to say worship is about God and giving Him praise is totally true. That is not a false statement. Um, as I just said, it, it's gladly reflecting back to God the, the radiance of His worth. However, worship is a good thing for us as well. Um, it is a good thing for us. If we remember who we are worshiping, that should become obvious. We are worshiping an all-powerful, almighty, all-loving God. He's all good. He's all just. You could go on and on. He loves us. And we're worshiping Jesus who gave his very life for us. We're worshiping the one who's far better and more beautiful than we could ever imagine. So how would that not be a blessing for us when, we're, when we really understand who God is, who Jesus is? If you go back to the husband and wife example, um, if I say I'm so happy to spend the evening with you, to my wife, and I have a great time, is that wrong that I'm enjoying this honoring of her? No, it's not. I'm getting to enjoy my wife's company, and that is a blessing. And if I go to Zion National Park, my favorite national park that's out there, and I stand there and I look and awe at the creation in front of me, and I'm you know, standing out there just admiring it. I'm, I'm honoring God's creation here, really God, because he created it. But I'm totally captivated by its beauty. Um, it's because of what is in front of me is glorious, and I'm testifying to that by staring at it. But I am enjoying it, and I'm being blessed by it. So worship is about God. It's not about us, but it is a blessing and an enjoyment for us that we get to partake of, in the act of, of worshiping God. Um, the other statement out there about not getting anything out of worship, I would say a lot of times that means that there's, there's like a, a disconnect there. And that usually is our heart. Okay, it's our heart. We're not, we're not in a place to truly worship, and so we end up singing empty words. Um, so while we're on this topic... Um, the question comes up like, so how do I worship if I don't feel like worshiping? Because I'm sure everyone here pretty much has walked in on a Sunday morning and been like, I don't really feel like worshiping. And so the question is, what do you do when you're, you're in that spot if you want to worship from the heart? Um, and you've probably heard, sometimes you just need to push through and sing, even if you don't feel like it, and let your heart catch up. And that might seem contradictory to what I'm saying, but I don't think it is. Um, I want to read a little bit out of John Piper's book, um, Desiring God, to open uh, up this part. This book helped me a lot as I was uh, working on my sermon. Um, so he describes in here three stages of worship that believers experience. Um, and so he does them in reverse order here, so I'll read them in reverse order. So the first one, the final stage. There is a final stage in which we feel unencumbered joy in the manifold perfection of God, the joy of gratitude, wonder, hope, admiration. My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Psalm 63, 5. And so in this final stage, we are satisfied 
with the excellency of God, and we overflow with the joy of his fellowship. And then number two, in the prior stage that we often taste, we do not feel the fullness, but rather a longing and a desire. Having tasted the feast before, we recall the goodness of the Lord, but it seems further off. We preach to our souls not to be downcast because we are sure we shall praise the Lord again. Psalm 42, 5. Yet for now, our hearts are not very fervent. And even though this falls short of the ideal of vigorous, heartfelt adoration and hope, it is a great honor to God. For we honor the water from a mountain spring not only by the satisfied ah after drinking our fill, but also by the unquenched longing to be satisfied while we are climbing to it. In fact, these two stages are not really separable in the true saint because all satisfaction in this life is still shot through with longing and all genuine longing has tasted the satisfying water of life. And then thirdly, the lowest stage of worship, he says, where all genuine worship starts and where we often return to for a dark season is the bareness of soul that scarcely feels any longing and yet is still granted the grace of repentant sorrow for having so little love. When my soul was embittered, I was pricked in heart. I was brutish and ignorant like a beast toward you. Psalm seventy-three, twenty-one. So he describes those three stages of worship. And so my encouragement to someone who doesn't feel like they want to worship, doesn't feel anything for God, would be to cry out to the Lord, would be to repent and be broken before Him and ask the Holy Spirit to light the fire and revive your spirit. Ask Jesus to help you love Him. Ask Him to help you become disenchanted with the things of this world and to find true joy in worshiping Him. And then, Trusting that he will answer, believing he will answer, you sing, you bow down, you raise your hands, you you worship, trusting that Jesus will do the work in your heart. And I want to read read one more quote um, before we move from the spirit to the truth part. Um, From C.S. Lewis, and he writes, Indeed, if we consider the unblemishing promises of rewards and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And so we need to see the greatness of God so that we see the mud pies that we're playing with are like nothing. So we can see them for what they really are. And when, when we really see the greatness of God, all we can do is worship. The response is we must worship, which leads us to the truth part, worshiping in truth. So in that picture of the fire, what was the truth? What was the truth? Sound doctrine, the truth is the fuel. Fuel. Okay, so if that's the fuel, um, fuel for the fire, what happens if a fire has no fuel? It goes out. It dies. 
Um, you can't have a fire without fuel. Um, without truth, you wouldn't know if you're making mud pies or if you're at a vacation in the sea. You, you wouldn't have anything to fuel your worship. So worship that is devoid of emotion, heart, meaning, it's dead. But in the same way, worship devoid of truth is also dead. It's, it's not real worship. If you don't have truth, who are you worshiping? You don't even know who you're worshiping. You're like the woman at the well. She, she doesn't know who they're worshiping. Um, someone you don't know, another God that doesn't even exist. The Spirit and the truth are both important parts. Um, in Romans 10, you can turn there if you'd like. In Romans 10, in verse 1, Paul says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. They've got passion. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So we see here people who were zealous. They had passion. They had fire. But it was not based on any knowledge. And they were not worshiping God because they did not have the truth. Um, let's go back to John in chapter 8, verse 31. It says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the, the truth sets us free. We've got to know it. We've got to hold on to it. Um, and further in John, in chapter 17, Jesus says, while he's praying for his disciples, he says, sanctify them, so set them apart, declare them holy, um, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So without, without knowing the truth, we don't have anything to worship. We don't have anyone to worship. Without the truth, how do we know that God is loving? I mean, we can make up a God, that, but he's not going to be real. Without the truth, how do we know God is all-powerful? How do we know that he is sovereign, that he is near to those who are brokenhearted? We don't know those things without the truth. So the question then is, how can you be captivated and led to worship someone who you don't know? You can't. You can't have real affections and real worship without the truth. You can get excited about something that's not true, but that, that, that's going to lead you to to bad things in life. You're going to end up disappointed. Um, without the sound doctrine, without that fuel, you're not going to have worship. If you, if you want to have a giant fire of worship in the furnace of your spirit, then you've got to feed on God's Word. Stop feeding on everything else out there. There's a lot of stuff vying for your attention. Um, the news, sports, movies, TV, social media, all of those things, don't feed on them. Feed on God's word. You'll develop a blazing spirit of worship. Um, singing songs and worshiping without truth, <clears throat> it's kind of like going on a date with your wife and leaving her at home and just pretending she's on the date with you. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't work. You're not honoring her. You're not enjoying her. You're like worshiping yourself. Um, it's pretty stupid. So singing songs and worshiping without truth, it's like saying you're going to Zion National Park, which if you haven't been, you should go. It's beautiful. Um, 
That's like saying you're going there and pretending you're at Zion and staring at the dirt in your backyard. Okay? It, it doesn't work. But this is a lot more common today than a lot of people realize. Um, music is powerful. Okay? Music is powerful. God created it, and he did a wonderful thing in creating it. Music can stir our emotions, um, leave us full of joy or in tears. Even music without words can do that. I don't know if you've ever been really moved by a, a piece of music that just stirs up your emotions. So music can do this on its own. And music throughout Scripture has been a, a part of worship. It's a part of our worship, and it's important as it can aid our hearts in worshiping God. But it is not the most important thing. And far too many worship services today end up full of empty songs. Worship songs that don't contain much truth or sound doctrine in them. And those songs can still stir our emotions, but they're not stirring our emotions towards the truth because it doesn't have truth in there. Um, A lot of worship songs today could be sung just as easily to your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Songs that are mostly focused on us instead of on God. Um, Songs that sound really cool musically, but if you sit down and read the lyrics, like the the words would never move you themselves because they're they're empty. Um, So music, music aids, but the words that we sing together are very, very important. So when we gather to worship, when we when we gather to sing, we are together saying something to God as a church. Okay? And we're saying something not only to God as a church, but we're saying something to each other as a church. We declare and we testify to things through song all in one voice. It's like a one unified prayer and declaration when we all sing the same thing. And this makes the words of the songs we sing extremely important. If we're supposed to worship in spirit and in truth, we want to make sure we're singing true things, right? That as a church, we're all singing, we're all, our hearts have been captivated by God and we're, we're out of the overflow of our heart, right? We're saying these things, but that together we are singing true things and not, not false things. Um, and if truth if sound doctrine, if if God's word reveals who God is so that we can know him, we want to sing songs that are true and full of sound doctrine so that it will fuel our worship. So that it will fuel our worship. So if you've ever wondered, you know, how do we pick songs and how do we go through songs? And um, there are a lot of worship songs out there to choose from. There are thousands. There's probably even at this point hundreds of thousands. Some of those songs are full of heresy. Some of those songs have great doctrine. Some combine great music and scripture-soaked words full of truth. And those are great. Some songs um, are really bad lyrically, but they've got a great tune. And so they become popular. I have you ever been in a situation where like, you recognize a tune and you maybe even start humming in your head you have no idea what the words of the song are? I don't know. If you listen to because music is catchy. Um, at the same time, you can have some songs that are um, great, have great words and terrible music. And they also become hard to sing, right? Um, so there, there's a lot of songs out there. And so because there's so many, though, we can afford to be selective and, and try to pick 
the great songs because there are so many to choose from. So I'm still new to, to being on the worship team. I'm still new to leading this stuff, and um, it's, it's challenging. Um, and as I have said, the whole church really is the worship team. All of you out here, you are the worship team, and we're just up here to help direct and lead in that. And part of that means picking songs that are full of truth and sound doctrine, because if we're singing things that are true about God, then that should start to stir our hearts as we ponder and we think on who God is. Um, it also means picking songs that um, sound good because you can ruin great words in a song if you match it to bad music. Nobody wants to sing a song that's really hard to sing that doesn't have good music. Um, it means picking songs that as much as possible we can all sing together. Um, not songs that have some crazy high range. My range is somewhere in, I don't know, somewhere in the middle. Um, <laughs> So I know, you know, if you go to a concert or something and they're singing, or you even turn on a song on the radio, you're like, man, I can't sing with that song if you ever try to do karaoke. It doesn't work. So we're, we're not perfect. We're trying to do our best to, to put together songs where as a church we can worship in spirit and in truth together in one voice and that we can all sing together. Um, but the truth, the truth matters in worship. Sound doctrine matters in worship because without it, you can't really worship God properly. You can't know Him, and you can't fuel your worship. And if we as a church, if we want real worship, we need to worship in spirit and truth. If you leave out the truth, you have emotions, and you get excited about the wrong things, and you don't have worship. If you want strong affections from God, you need sound doctrine. Strong affections for God are rooted and shaped by the truth of Scripture. That's where those strong affections come from. Not from music, but from Scripture. And then, if we sing true things, but our hearts are far from God, we, we still don't have worship. When we see that our hearts are far from God, when we're just going through the, through the motions, we need to ask Him to revive our spirit. Church, we need to ask him to turn our hearts to him, help us worship in spirit and truth. So this morning, as we go into the new year, let us be a church that endeavors to worship in spirit and truth. Let us declare truth about God to each other. Let us honor and worship him by singing to him, reflecting back to him the glory he deserves, and let us search our own hearts and repent of if we've been honoring him with our lips while our hearts have been far from him let us repent of that and ask him to revive us let us ask him to turn our hearts back to him to restore our love for him that we may sing out truth and delight in him and find our joy in him that like the psalmist we would be able to say in your presence O god there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures evermore. Because God is not after people that will just stand up here and sing. He is after true worshipers. He's after our hearts, just like he was after the woman at the well. And in order to bring her, he talked with her, he called her out on her sin, he gave her truth, and he called her to salvation. 
So when we find we can't worship from our heart, when we don't have the desire to do that, we should sit down and we should ask ourselves, why? What, what is it, God? What's there? Do we have sin in our lives like the woman at the well? Do we need to bring it in the light and deal with it? Are our affections fixed elsewhere? Have we been feeding on other things that have led to our fire dying out? And the big question is, have we in the first place trusted in Christ for salvation? Because if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we can't have worship. So whatever the answer is, we need to cry out to Jesus because he can help us. Jesus came to offer life, and he is good. He's so much better than anything else. So we're going to pray, and we're going to worship this morning. So pray with me. Jesus, um, you are so good. You came to earth to save us. You walked among us as a man. And you love us and you care for everyone, rich and poor, healthy and sick, outcast or popular. You offer life to all. And this morning we pray first for those here who do not know you. We ask that you would open their hearts and their ears and their minds, that they would see you as God. They would see you as the only way to be saved from their sins. We ask that you would call them to salvation this morning. And God, we pray for our hearts. Turn them to you. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. May the songs we sing be truthful and may they fuel our adoration and worship of you. May we feed on your word so that our wonder of you would grow. Holy Spirit, please light the fire in our hearts. We, we do. We want to be captivated by you. We want to truly love you. Whatever is keeping us from truly worshiping you from our heart, whatever is in the way, whatever sin, whatever idols, please reveal that to us this morning so that we may repent. I'm going to invite everyone to just take a moment before we sing. You can come forward. You can get on your knees. You can sit down. You can bow down, but take a moment and ask the Lord to reveal to you what may be hindering your worship of Him. Take a moment and ask Him to revive your heart so that you may worship Him in spirit and in truth. And if you are here this morning and you've not trusted in Jesus, you can do so right now. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. You can confess your sin to him right now, turn from it, and call on him to save you. It's possible to go to church your whole life and simply go through the motions without ever believing with your heart. And so if, if you've done that, I encourage you to cry out to Jesus to save you and give you a new heart.